Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash in every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card member. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network where we debuted a couple new podcasts recently, No Skips with Jinx and Shay and season two of Flying Coach, Peter Schrager, Sean McVay. You can check both of those out on The Ringer Podcast Network as well as the new rewatchables coming Monday night. It's a movie that came out about 20 years ago. It is a movie that is directed by somebody who became an even bigger director after the movie. And that's all the hints I'm going to tell you. But it's coming out Monday night. Coming up, part one. Me and Rosilla, we waited until after the Celtics-Nets game to break down the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And then uh, after Mavs clips later tonight, we're going to put up part two after we finish taping that one. So a little two-part extravaganza for you. Uh, it's all next. First Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, Ryan Russell is here taping this at 6.30. You just watched Celtics-Nets. The Nets killed the Celtics. They looked like they were trying to score 150 points. They left their starters in until there was about a minute left in the game. Um, they basically just took turns torching Tatum and the Tatumettes because he didn't really have any uh, any help out there. But, um, Russillo, this is only the 12th time we've seen this team with the three guys. Now... They're playing a team that is a 500 team that had no rim protection because Robert Williams wasn't playing. They didn't really have any shooting and couldn't really defend them at all. I don't want to say that this is what the rest of the playoffs is going to look like, but this is the this is the hypothetical, awesome version of what the Nets looked like. It was pretty impressive. It felt like they made every single shot they took. Yeah, look, I think the only reason they lost game three is they're up 19-4, three and a half minutes into the game. They're like, these guys suck. And then they just were like, oh. You know, and Tatum played one of the all-time games any Celtic has ever played in a yep. playoff game. And Marcus was incredible in game three. And even though Kemba was, was you know, 
just another bad shooting night from him. Like there were all these guys making these big time effort plays. The, the oddity of this series is that I think this is actually kind of the toughest we've seen the Celtics look like they've actually cared more. They've shown more fight. They showed a lot more fight in game four, but I'm going to stop myself because it's just not even close. I mean, there's no Robert Williams. We know Jalen's been out. Then no Kemba for this one. There were rotations in this game, Bill, where I think it was like Fournier, Langford, Semi, Grant Williams. I mean, Pritchard. Wait a second. Don't forget about the iconic Semi, Grant, Jabari, three out of the five guys on the floor to start the second quarter. That was rough. Right. So, you know, Brooklyn can do whatever they want when they want to in this yes. matchup. And I think actually some of the most impressive stuff is that the second quarter start where Kyrie and Durant are out and Harden just goes solo. But mm. he can just do, you know, you're getting Thompson switches on him. He toasts him every time. You get Fournier in a switch. He toasts him. There's no backline help. So I think the biggest mistake you can make if you're a Celtics fan or anybody like that going, well, if they had done this or played this guy or all these different things, like there's just not even close. Like Brooklyn probably should have swept this and they're going to win game five. This thing's, you know, they're not even close. And they didn't sweep them because Tatum played the best game of his life. And I've seen, I think, pretty much every great Jason Tatum game. The the one on Friday night was different. The, it was him putting all the pieces together, him realizing the inside out thing, drawing contact when he wanted, solving double teams. And just, it was 50 hard points. He scored 50 relatively easy points against the Wizards, right? In the playing game. He's going against Bertans and Rui Hachimura, and he played really well. The The Friday night was different. They fell way behind. It looked like they were going to roll over. The Nets thought the sweep was happening. They were going to be out of there by the weekend. And Tatum kind of just didn't want, want to let it happen. I thought tonight, same thing. Um, he played really well. He ended up with 40, <laughs> 10 for 22, 17 for 17 from the free throw line. It felt like he could have had 30 free throws. But the the takeaway for me, considering how young he was, but also who he was going against was, you know, just comparing him and Durant because Durant was unbelievable tonight. He had a, he was 14 for 20, 11 for 11 free throws and got <laughs> any shot he for, wanted. 14 for 20. I, mean, I don't know just... if he hit the rim on any of his makes either, but you know, it, watching those two go head to head as a Celtics fan, who's trying to figure out what Tatum's ceiling is. It was one of the first times I was like, Oh yeah, he's, I don't know if he's Durant 2.0, but it, you know, there's a chance he could be the best scoring forward in the league other than maybe Luca in two, three years. I thought the stuff he showed, I, I was really blown away because his teammates weren't helping him. There was no other threats on the floor. Even when Kemba was out there Friday night, it's not like the Nets were like, oh shit, we can't leave Kemba. Marcus Smart, they just left wide open this whole series, basically. Fournier is who he is. Who He, he had no help whatsoever. He had 90 points in two games. And just think, when you accept that Luke is a guard, Tatum will be even higher in your forward rankings. <laughs> I know. I, I changed my mind depending on how I have to do the All-NBA. Uh, I want to hit a couple big picture points, questions for you. First off, I think that might have been Marcus Smart's last Boston game. Well, they're, they're, they're not, not eliminated yet. I bet the home game, I mean. I mean, oh. that, that might have been it. I think the next time we see him... They're playing the video thanking him for his seven great years in Boston as he's on whatever uniform he's wearing next year because they're not going to bring this team next year. They're not trading Tatum and they're not trading Jalen. And if you don't know what Jalen means to the city and the organization, you saw it Friday night when Kyrie kind of did his little intimation thing and Jalen just shut it down with this four and a half minute, basically monologue that was incredible. Um, those two guys aren't going anywhere. I think if, if there's a move to be made, 
unless there's a Kemba trade, which we can talk about in a second. But I think Marcus has real trade value. He he looked like himself with crowds, but has been pretty uneven this season. Has a tradable contract. He's got one year left. And I think that was his last home game. You're way more on this than than I am. Like, you're definitive about it. Like, you've, this is the second time you've brought it up this season. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know he's been offered because he really is the only tradable piece. Um, I would think there's probably a difference of opinion amongst the team of of what he means to them in the future. And look, for the smart fans, the people that, that love him and love all the intensity, all the stuff that he brings, like, I understand, right? I'm, I'm not trying to, like, dump on him. Um, because I've had my frustrations with him, all right? Because he does care, and that's that's important. But I think it's always been a challenge with him kind of understanding how much better the other two guys are. And I don't, I don't, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for a young player, you know, and it's a hard thing for a guy who's thinking about the next contract and all that kind of stuff. So you're more definitive about than I, I'll always be like, well, I don't think they're just going to wake up and say, we have to get him out of here. Cause that seems harsh. I just think it's like, if you're retooling this thing, you don't have many options because Kemba's basically untouchable at over 70 million the next two years. I'm not saying definitively he's out. I'm just saying they're not going to bring back this team next season. And he is by far, if you're just being smart about it, and you're using experience and savvy and reading the tea leaves left and right here, he's the most logical guy to get traded. I think he has the most trade value, and I don't think they're trading Tatum and Jalen. And I think Kemba's untradeable, which I want to get to in a second. Um, I Here's the thing with Marcus. I think he has more value to teams that haven't been watching him day in, day out, because I don't think he's the same defensive player anymore. You saw it tonight. They, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant, now, granted, those are three incredible guys, but I feel like 2018 Marcus would have had a better chance to defend those guys. I don't think he's as athletic as he was three years ago. And, um, you know, there's I think there's been some wear and tear. I think he he played really, really hard. Um, and I, I don't want to turn this into a dump it on Marcus thing. I just think next year's a contract year. I think he's going to want to get paid. And I think they're going to look at this and go, all right, if our best three guys are smart Tatum and Brown, where are we going? And, you know, odds are not anywhere. Yeah, and I always kind of look at it as, as like every fan base, everybody can get really selfish about your own shortcomings. Okay. It's like, all right, what can we do? What can we do? Well, usually your options are pretty limited. And if they want to bring back Fournier on any kind of deal, then they may be having to move some pieces around, hoping to just have more depth where it's not some major move, but the depth is somehow cheaper. You know, to, mm. to avoid what could be a huge tax bill to have all of these guys back. I mean, that's that's where the Fournier thing comes in. And it's also where the rest of the trade exception where you're like, OK, but, you know, I know everybody get really excited and reading these Beal articles because the trade exception lined up with his salary. And you're like, yeah, that's not the way it works. Like the person you're getting in the trade exception usually has to be somebody that people are ready to move on from. So the Kemba part of it at 30 what is he, 36 million and then 37.6 million player option, which we can probably go ahead and report. He'll pick that one up two years from now. Um, I have this for you. Right, go ahead. I have the worst active contracts right now. This is what they have next year, year after. Kevin Love, 31.5, Wall, 44.3, 47.4. I think that's the worst. 47 million for John Wall. (laughs) Russ is 44.2, 44.2 straight. Kemba's 36 next year, 37.7 next year. Porzingis, 31.7, 33.8. And then the sneaky 36. He's got three years left. Uh, Wiggins is 31.6 and 33.6. And he's arguably the most productive 
for trying to win out of all these guys. Russell is 30 and 31.4. Horford's 27 and 26 and a half. And Hayward, I'm throwing on here just because he gets hurt every year. 29.9, 30.1, 31.5. My point is, if Kemba's getting traded, I think it's for one of those other guys on the list. And the Celtics aren't taking back John Wall. Kevin Love, maybe. I think the Cavs would have to trade Sexton to open up the Kemba thing. But then that, like, I don't understand why, why they would they would do, that? do that. Yeah. Especially if they want Garland to be the future. And then it's like, okay, so what are you going to do? Have Garland play off of Kemba? Which I know they've tried to do with Sexton. But you just hear more complaints out of the Sexton part of the combination than you do Garland. Right? The Remember hearing, thing. Right. Well, you're we hearing those the, stories about the guys on opposing teams saying he's not going to pass it to you. When right. Sexton has the ball. <laughs> the rare trash talking where they're actually undermining the style of play. Porzingis is the most logical, just on paper, like, oh, yeah, problem for a problem, though, especially the way he played on Friday night. Now, right now, Clippers Dallas is happening. He might have 35 points tonight. I'll sound like an idiot, but no, it Dallas, hasn't. It hasn't been great. And I've defended Porzingis a lot, but I mean, it's just it's, it's not that great. And I think you would agree. Whenever I make the rounds of calls, you know, something I'll always ask, like, hey, you hearing about anybody getting mad? Like, who's the next mad guy? You hearing any whispers or anything? Mm. And right now it's pretty quiet on that front. But as far as like, who do you think at big names are like Przingis is available? Well, Which you're, he should you're be. taking you're taking three years back with him. So maybe there's a Kemba Porzingis something. Um, putting a shooter next to I don't know. I I actually think Kemba might be untradeable. Um I don't know that I would trade for Porzingis anymore because I just I think it's kind of that group of guys that are too tall for their movement. Yeah. Like that are so big, they're always going to be hurt. I don't know. Yeah. That one's so the, icy. the reason I bring this up is because I think people will be like, yeah, we should trade Kemba and we'll get it. And it's like you're going to really not get anything back for a guy who two straight years has had knee issues and is a small guy who just has not looked good against good teams. Even before he got hurt in this series, he just didn't look good. He's, he, we did remember that weird website I found where it was like your head to head matchup against, yeah, the we guy. still don't know Kemba what it was got, based on. Who, whatever that site was, Kemba was just getting destroyed. He was like a Bazooka Joe in those matchups. So, um, I just think the Celtics team's going to look differently. And I, I think with Smart's contract, he's the most logical guy. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not reporting anything. Don't aggregate this. I just feel like that might have been his last home game. I'm, um, I'm not confident to know that it's like, I wouldn't say anything like that. I, I just think you look at it this way. You go, you still have two great wings and a chance for one of them and Tatum to be a top 10 guy. And they're young enough that you're going to reset the deck. I, I know this is like frustrating and almost sounds like loser talk, but I just think it's reality talk. When you look at some of these teams that are coming up short, you know, for the Celtics, it's always weird because you go like, oh, you know, they couldn't get past the Eastern conference finals. And I'm like, man, you can make an argument all three of the years they made it to the Eastern conference finals. They, they were kind of, Playing There's above something their fluky own about it. Yeah. yeah, like it was almost, you know, hell, the first year with Isaiah Thomas at 50 wins, that's one of the worst one seeds ever. And they were probably trying to rebuild and reset things. And then it's like, man, the East is so bad and we're competitive. And that's when everybody wanted Brad Stevens um, to be, the Massachusetts to be named after him. So I don't know. I still I feel know. that way. Yeah, I, I, I just think you should feel good that you have those two guys, despite the fact how disappointing this is. But as far as like the Nets and the matchup and all this stuff, I mean, it's just they're worlds apart. They're worlds apart. We're talking about three Hall of Famers on one team that doesn't even need to play defense. And they could have they can score whenever they want. And that's the only reason why I think they just took their foot off the gas when you're up 19-4 like that in game three or this been a sweep. You know, I, th I was thinking about this with the Clippers, too. The Celtics, similar builds, right? Two 
two awesome wings. Jalen got hurt. Um, but the league is so deep now from a, a top heavy standpoint. I made my list of top 40 just in case we ran out of stuff to talk about. And I was kind of <laughs> stunned by how good the 40 is. And I was stunned by, you know, what I thought like the top tier was and things like that. And it's just like, we're just in a talent boom right now. So if you have Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum on your team, that that might just be a round run loss unless you add other guys. Because all of these teams now, we get to 16 playoff teams and 12 of them have a ton of talent. You know, Washington had Beal and Westbrook and really nobody else. And they're just getting demolished by Philly, like demolished. Those games weren't close, you know? And then Miami, who makes the finals last year, and it seemed like it was seven years ago when you watched them this year. It was like, wow, they don't have enough talent. It was against a team they beat nine months ago. So I just think we're pretty loaded these days. Yeah, the depth is great. And for the listeners to to get a, a little chuckle out of this, because I know we were going to do our top 30 a few months ago, and I did it, and I you know, had it pretty good. I had like 33 guys maybe, and I was like, all right, I, I could arg be argued in and out of a couple of them here. As the game started today, Bill sends me a text. He's like, hey, I did my top 40 players in case you want to do that. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I not just, the game's already bored. started. I know, I know, and I appreciated it, and I want to hear it from you. But I go, I'm like looking at my notepad as we're in the beginning of Atlanta, New York, and I'm like already taking down other stuff on Trey that I was looking at, and I look at the text and I just go, Ugh. and then I think like yeah. this is gonna suck. I'm not gonna be able to do it, and I go, you know what? Because I'm not. I'm just not gonna be able to do the forty the way I want to right now. I just need it. I'll, we're I'll do, do it, it later on. Point. We'll yeah. do it at no, some point. I, you can do it or I, whatever. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off on top of everything else and watching the games. I have a couple of quick nets things. Cause we got to move on to some of these other series. Um, first of all, the like the Boston crowd was awesome today. They're down 25 and they're acting like they were down two. Like they were really into the game. I think they're excited to be back. Um, in the first quarter, it kind of had a upset kind of feel to it. And then unfortunately the benches had to play and, the, and all of a sudden the nets were up nine, but, you know, when we were growing up, and I remember most famously with Ralph Sampson at the game after he punched Seachting when he came in and the, the the crowd was like a Roman Coliseum. And I did feel like it psyched him out. I've been to games where players got psyched out. In 2021, I don't I don't feel like crowds getting on players and booing them works the way it used to back in the day. I think all it does for somebody like Kyrie is it makes him mad, it makes him try harder, and it puts a a you know, it puts a burr up his ass and he, and he's actually more likely to play better if you're doing that. I'm not saying the fans shouldn't have done that, but when they were on him like that, I was like, oh shit, he's going to play really hard today. And he did. He was like doing tip-ins with two minutes left. They're up 20. That's, if he played half as hard as that in the 2019 playoffs, maybe something good would happen for the Celtics. He was awesome. Um, and you're right. Like, I think, I think there's something with him, um, where, I don't, I mean, look, when you hit a shot like he did in 16, why is he going to be phased in a Sunday afternoon up 2 1 on the Celtics who aren't that good? Right. So, it's Peyton Pritchard and Semi Ojale. Yeah, like, right. Oh, man. So, oh, the fans are being mean. Yeah, it's yeah, not like the they're fans booing me. Do and that. I, have, I, have, I have Langford in the switch. <laughs> although, you know, although Langford probably has a better chance than some of the other guys that get caught in switch. Right. But yeah, just like, you know, the crowd's yelling at Durant and it's like, Durant's the best scoring forward probably of all time. He's he's not going to be phased by this. He's probably just going to hit a three his next time down. I, I guess my point is, I don't know what else fans should do. I almost wonder if we should use a little reverse psychology 
and you're just applauding the guys in the other team every time they do something. Oh, that's brilliant. Kyrie's brilliant. What an honor to be here. And you just kind of psych them out or just silence would be the other thing that might work. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You know what the answer isn't is chanting for taco fall with four and a half minutes left in a playoff yeah, that was game. Rough. That's so embarrassing. That was rough. Can I tell you something? And I mean this. And it's nothing the, against taco, by the way. I just think that you're a home crowd. You're the Celtics. And yeah, it's still, a playoff I'm, game. It's not I February. Mean, come on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think there was a lot of kids in the crowd today. Here's the thing. I would have rather have seen Taco in the... I just dumped on thousands of kids. Well, no. I would have rather have seen Taco in the second quarter than Semi Ojale and Grant Williams. I I, Honestly, in all sincerity. Semi, yes. Grant had had some decent moments, but defensively... If he's out there, at least the Nets aren't going to be able to drive to the basket. It was a layup line for them. At least if the seven foot six guy is in there, they're thinking for a split second. Yeah, you know what they're thinking of doing? They're thinking of setting five one screens, and then now Taco's thirty feet away, Great. waving his arms all over the place. Do that. All that's right. fine. But how about play I can his tell own? Tell you how that's going to look. Play that. Play his own. <laughs> Anything. So uh, you do think there are adjustments to be made? Because I, I would like this would no, be local no, radio one on one. Like if I were done. doing the old call in show back in the uh, the zone days, you'd be like, all right, you know what can they do? You'd be like, ah. Oh, we need more minutes from this guy. And you're like, no, there's no, there's no, there's no magic. There's nothing's happening here. This thing was over before it started. You know what that would, what should have happened is, uh, as it became a layup line, somebody should have creamed Harden or Kyrie or one of those guys. Cause it's the playoffs and they don't have that Morris brother on this team. Right. They don't have like Markeith coming in. Well, the first couple quarters of the Morris brothers. Fourth quarter. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know what? I can't believe. I can't believe there isn't somebody that when Harden just absolutely forearm shivers them off him. Like Fournier ended up in the in the stanchion. He just gets chucked. Yeah. I I can't believe there isn't a guy that's like, I stink. It doesn't even matter if I'm out here. And he just chucked me to the ground again. I mean, I agree that nobody wants to find. I can't believe nobody's really lost their minds after getting chucked to the ground by Harden. They just accept it. It's really weird. Harden was awesome today. Yeah, so, I mean, he, the thing is, is they can they can run all of that stuff with just him. Like the start of that second quarter when he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do my Houston Rockets deal against this Celtics team right now." Where they're, I mean, the guys they had out there for the second quarter that wasn't even fair. They should have just said, "Like, hey, we're going to start the clock at six minutes and have you guys up ten more." <laughs> I, it was when they get up eight, it feels like the game's over because it's like they're never going to screw up enough possessions for you to be able to go on like a 12 to two run. There's the odds of them scoring is basically 50, 50% every time. The other thing, um, yeah, it reminds me of like the rock and roll hall of fame or something. And granted, like this is the best the Nets are going to look because next round they're going to play Milwaukee. Giannis is going to be out there. You have Brooke Lopez in the middle. You have holiday being floating around. Like the bucks are significantly, significantly better defensively than Boston is significantly. So this is the best Brooklyn's ever going to look. But the game today, it felt like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they would have those things where it's like, all right, now Tom Petty's going to play with Prince and Eric Clapton. And then each guy kind of steps out. It's like, oh, shit, that's Prince. He's doing a solo now. And then it's like, now Eric Clapton's going to... They can just go from guy to guy. And it's like three of the most talented offensive players of this era and two of the most iconic offensive players of their generation. Um, so when you see it all together, you're like, fuck, this is tough. <laughs> Yikes. You're like Joe Harris's kid rock and like Clapton <laughs> doesn't want to stand near him. <laughs> I'm just trying to, just trying to think of other guys here. I got to say one thing with the nets and I think this bodes well for them next round. I still think the bucks are going to beat them, but their, their role guys are all frisky. 
right? Yeah, like, Brown. I mean, Blake's just out there now, like captain role guy. I mean, he's trying to get right. charges every single possession. Um, super fit Claxton, super physical. And Claxton, Claxton's incredible in that he has accepted who he is on this team so much more. Like at Georgia, I was like, all right, you're huge, but what's with this point guard, two guard stuff? Yeah. And then Tyler Johnson, he'll pick you up full court and annoy the shit out of you and try to poke check and stuff like that. They have like five guys like that. So from an energy standpoint, I, I actually think that bodes well for them for the playoffs. The interesting thing about this series was DeAndre didn't play. Um, they're going to need him at some point, and that will open the door for teams to um, either do hack at DeAndre, um, try to get him in switches, things like that. They didn't have to play him this series, but at some point they will. And yeah, that'll be, be the that'll be, be the Lo- that'll be the Lopez like deal because will they trust? Because this thing is, even if you bring in DeAndre, you go, okay, does it make sense to have DeAndre that far away from the hoop with Lopez? But well, you know, let's, Lopez... talk, let's talk about the Bucks. We'll, we'll okay. take a break and we'll come back and talk about them. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. going to start wearing shorts. going to start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, so we were talking about the Bucs right before we went into that break. Uh, the Bucs looked awesome against the Heat, and they didn't even play that well, which was the frightening thing if I'm a Nets fan or a Sixers fan. It's like, it's not like the Bucs shot the lights out. It's not like Giannis was incredible. It was just... Those three guys together have become really good. And it's going to be a big three versus big three series next round. Um, just what they did against the Heat. How much of you, that would you attribute to revenge plus the Bucks are just a really good defensive team versus maybe that Heat thing was just fluky last year? What would you, if you had to seesaw that? I don't, think revenge, I don't think revenge was was the main factor. I looked at an awful heat offense. And I mean, if you go over the numbers and again, we're only talking about four games in the same matchup. Um, and these can be misleading. You know, I remember last year we were looking at Houston's small approach in that OKC series where it was a seven gamer yeah. where you looked at Houston's defensive numbers after that. And you're like, Hey, look how great their defensive numbers are. And you're like, yeah, it was kind of Chris Paul and a timid Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lou Dort's taking threes. Um, Schroeder had his moments, so it wasn't like this really tough offense that you had to slow down. But if you just go based on what Miami did offensively or what Milwaukee did defensively to them, um, Miami was at like 95 points per 100 possessions in this series. That's almost 10 points worse than the next worst offensive team so far in the playoffs, four games in, uh, the Knicks. So when I was going through and doing my own prep for each series, you know, the emotional side of you was, what if, you know, what if they're in their head a little bit? And every time I kept coming around to like another fact about who Miami really was, I was like, why would anybody pick them? No one like and the only reason anybody was picking them, which I understood, was it like an emotional hangover from the previous matchup. So, I mean, Giannis shot it awful 
and he kept shooting. Rebounding was great. Defense is there. They played Bam perfectly, where Bam didn't really ever figure it out. Butler was terrible. You know, so this that series, I think game one was like, well, you know, if something goes here, something goes there, you know, you never know what could happen. And then it's like, no, actually, like, this is a problem. Miami has a real offensive problem. And I think it had way more to do with the matchup than it was just revenge mode. We nailed it a week ago when we said that felt like a, a weird game one must win for Milwaukee, that once they got over the hump of that game, it was going to be smooth sailing. I didn't, I didn't think they would sweep, but um, they just dominated them. And my buddy Hench, diehard, crazy Boston fan, he mailed me this graphic of the Heat's field goal percentages last year, their best four guys versus this year. And like each guy was 10 to 15% lower than a year ago. And he's like, these fucking guys, they got hot for six games. We should have been in the finals. I, kinda, I couldn't defend Bam. Like it was a bad matchup for Boston with the Bam thing. Like, well, they, I can't get over the, the hero game. I can't get over that one what game he when 40? he had like 38 or 40, he just said, and then Iguodala hitting five threes in the, in the final game wasn't awesome either. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think if you look at that 2020 heat team now, they become this weird aberration team. They go into this, this room with like the 2007 Cavs and some of these other weird finals teams we have, where we're going to look back 20 years from and be like, the fuck happened that? Oh, that was the bubble year. It'd be like one of those. But um, the Butler legacy, we were talking on this podcast about Butler as like, is he have to be considered a top shelf guy? He's going against LeBron and AD and he's single-handedly winning two finals games. And, you know, he was the dominant player in the Eastern Conference. And what does this mean for him? And and now it's like he he was awful. And talk to, talk to big game talk? too. Yeah, and look, this isn't about shitting on Jimmy Butler. This is just responding to everything that Jimmy Butler's been about. Because when guys win, and it makes sense, I mean, this isn't... But when they had that run last year, then it became this kind of like forced storyline that he was always one of these real guys and he was proving it. That he was always like a tier one guy that could carry a team. When in reality, like he's flirted with being a top 10 guy, I think like one season. For the rest of his career, I mean, I'm talking about like the real years of production. Yeah. I've never really seen him as that. I, you know, everybody would want Jimmy Butler. All right. I'll take Jimmy Butler. You'd love to have Jimmy Butler. But it's like, well, he's in the finals. So now what do we do? You know, is this guy a top five? Is he a top six guy? And then, of course, they go into the playoffs. He's like, don't worry about it. Like, I've got something up my sleeve. I've got all this shit. And it's like, no, you got swept and you shot it like crap. So, yeah. you know, and he's Miami. So, you know, we're going to forget that any of that even happened in like three days. You know, it's not going to be some he's not a big enough of a star for him to actually have to pay like some of the criticism price that other guys would have to pay for saying all the stuff that he's been saying about him and his team and his game for months. When reality was like they were a decent team and they look, they came out of the East. Nobody else did. Good for them. Um, but I don't know. I think we end up making more mistakes about who players are in those winning moments then we do when we kind of step back and look at the bigger picture and realize like Butler's really good. Everybody liked Jimmy Butler. He's not a top 10 player in the league. Top 10's crowded anyway. I did second team all NBA for him this year, but it was, there were major multiple injuries that pushed He was him great up. this year. And he, he had great. a really good second half of the season. Yeah. I won't read you my top 40, but if we're just, if we're just starting with these 11 guys and that this is in no particular order. LeBron, KD, Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Embiid, Curry, Kawhi, Dame, Davis, and Harden. Butler's not in that group. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because not. it's like, all right, you voted him second team all NBA, so that means he's 10 best. It has to do with missing games. Like, if you redrafted the entire league for one season, uh, Butler would not be one of the first 10 picks. And that's and okay. If you go, if you go next five, Tatum, Holiday, Young, Williamson, Mitchell, and then Paul and Gobert. Now, I'm, now I have 17 guys I just listed. You have Holiday that high? I'm just, I'm just listing guys. Okay. All right. I actually do have Holiday in top 20 now. All right, but that the you, more you just brought him up, it felt like 13. So you're not saying that's in order. No, no, I was, I was going out of order because I didn't want to make people think I was reading off a list. But I do think Holiday was the top 20 guy for me. The stuff he's doing defensively, like, you know, in Boston, it was like, Marcus is so incredible on defense. Like, Drew Holiday is incredible on defense. And I hate myself for not voting for him for first team all defense last year. He should just be penciled in. As long as he's on this level, he's first. He's the best defensive guard in the league, and that's it. It's done. Yeah, for the guys that out there think they have one of those lockdown guys, you should just watch Drew for entire, especially closing he's quarters. He's incredible. Watch him and then go, oh, my guy doesn't look like that. So the Heat, quickly, because I want to get to the Bucks. So this Butler thing, they're going to be make a big thing about we got to get a second star. They actually do have cap space. Yeah, like twenty million if they renounce a bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah, and then the old depot thing. I don't know what they do with that, whether they had an under the table deal with him or not. Uh I do think Old Depot would have helped them not get swept against the Heat, but I don't against the Bucks, but I don't think he would have made a difference. I Dragic sounds like he's probably done. Um he's done at he, that number. Like they're the cap holds they have on Nunn and Duncan are really low. Yeah. So there's some stuff that they could do there, but you know, maybe they do a one year for Old Depot. But that's when you go, okay, is it one year and you guys came to some... I mean, it just... Like, Voladipo can never get back. It's just scary that it's, like, now two years. It's not like he's that old. It's like it's two, two and a half. years of this. Yeah. Or, you know, do you, if you're Miami... Because I, I, we always have to prepare ourselves for this. Is there some name we're not even thinking about that's really mad in July and all of a sudden Miami's in play? Well, Clippers 19, Dallas 16 right now in the first quarter. But Kawhi would be... You know, the, the most fascinating, and we'll talk about this in part two because we'll know what happened, but the most fascinating what-if name in this free agency is going to be Kawhi. If yeah, the Clips got bounced in round one, he exactly. got, he's going to be in the Miami Knicks. He'll be in that whole vortex. Uh, right. Lowry to, would be the other one. Yeah, well, that's a completely different level. And, you know, Miami doesn't have any assets for picks. And that's why No, but the they Lowry do have Hero. Stuff. If they wanted to, you know basically upgrade from hero. If they felt like hero is who he is, he's like this awesome heat check guy, but could he be a top three guy on a title team? Probably not. So we'll see. They're going to be an interesting team to watch, uh, over free agency. And they talk a big game. They're always in the middle of that. I love Justin Termini's tweets about this. All right. We got to get Justin Termini on. I love that guy, but fit one of my favorite Twitter accounts, but he, uh, he had a great Jimmy Butler tweeter. I, I think it was something like, has anyone ever talked more and delivered less than Jimmy Butler? And I was like, that's eh, not bad. I mean, other than the finals thing, it was a lot of losses. Jimmy does talk a lot. He the media certainly likes him. But um, yeah, we got to get him on. Uh, do you think, would you consider Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis a official big three? Uh, you know, Middleton. What are, you, what are your big three standards? What do you, what do you look at when, they, uh, when you get the resume a, sent to your house? I'm a little <laughs> more difficult about it. Like, I remember looking up a big three thing and NBA.com ranked, I think, the top 60 big threes ever. And I mm. think there was one with Paul Millsap and Joe Johnson. So above <laughs> whatever above that is, that's my standard. <laughs> that's my cutoff. Once you go there, it was, I might have to send you this article. It was one of the funniest things ever 
And I think it may have even been a slideshow. And I'm just going through it, going, mm. you know, at this point, you should have just stopped the exercise at like your 35th best big three. I feel like there's been probably nine or 10 total big threes, like legitimate big threes in our lifetime. Well, okay. What's is Chicago a big three team in the 90s? No. Does Rodman count as a big three? No. No. All right. No, he doesn't. What about, I mean, Shaq Kobe? Not Rodman at that point in his career. You could argue that the first Rodman season with the Bulls, maybe because he was still Rodman, but the last two, no way. Um, I, I know our standard is going to be way beyond it. Like basically it turned into like, if anybody got a third guy, then they'd put him in some team logo and they were like, Oh, that's their big three. When in reality it, it isn't, it isn't that many. It's the Lakers, Lakers had Celtics. Wilt, the Lakers had Wilt Baylor and West at the same time when Baylor still could jump. That, and that, that was one like, passes. that's a pretty good one. Yeah. The Celtics had Sam Jones and Havacek and Bill Russell. Pretty good. I'll like allow those it. are Those are like top, 40 all-time Hall of Famers. Like, that's kind of where I like to my big three to land. It, what about, it really started with the Celtics with Parrish, Bird, and McHale. That was the first time people started saying big three, big three. Yeah, that's the first time people said it. I mean, because that poster with those three guys was like the first time, even though, you know, it was fairly dismissive of the fact that Worthy, Magic, and Kareem were on the other side. Uh, what Another about Westbrook, legitimate big three? Beal, Rui, Hachimura. <laughs> Beal, Bertans, Westbrook. Uh when it, there's been some good force big threes, like the Houston had that. Yes, kind of wa semi washed up Barkley with Dre with semi washed up Drexler and Hakeem. They're like big three, and it's like Drexler can barely move at this point in his career. And then they kind of flip Pippen in there. And that didn't work either. Barkley's rebounding rate was still terrific though, so I won't I won't hear it. He was great. I liked. I didn't like skinny older Barkley as much. It was like when you have that friend who was the husky guy in college who was awesome, and then. He's like, hey, I went vegan. And you see him and he weighs like 158 pounds. You're like, where's my friend? Yeah. Are I, you? I look, don't like when that happens. I had a buddy that had like a weird blood test cholesterol scare. Now, granted, he drank and smoked and always ate fried food all the time. Yeah. But he wasn't, he was a big guy and he was from Europe anyway. So I don't even think smoking's bad for you when you're from like <laughs> Russia. But he, <laughs> he decided like he got freaked out. And then he went like crazy, you know, he was eating cucumber slices and strawberries and like just went complete. And I showed up and he answered the door with his shirt off. And I go, I, I think I'd rather you have high cholesterol. Yeah. You, it you happens terrible. Sometimes. Yeah. Speaking of Milwaukee really quick, um, the Bogdanovich thing is such a funny motive for this playoffs where who knows if they ever had him or if they leaked that they thought they had him. I, I, it's oh, so I think they definitely had him. Because the first time I found out anything about it is another team texted me and said, hey, our like numbers guy said that this doesn't even work. Like they actually can't do the stuff that's been announced. So it wasn't like a hey, because I know that it turned into supposedly teams are telling on them and the tampering part is all gray area. So I think the league would have allowed it. But I was researching this again today because on both ends. Bog I, did, I actually researched it too. Bogdanovich added to this Bucks group is is pretty scary. And it still gets back to Sacramento where you go, how do you not just match? How do you just let this asset walk? It's horrible. Because he's completely changed who Atlanta's been, uh, which I know we'll get to later when we get to that series. Yeah, so I did the research too. My, and we've never gotten a full, here's what happened story. It depends Nobody's on who it. you read. It, it, you know? And who you talk to, honestly. Right. My, what I heard is that they thought they had a deal at some point, his agents were either involved, not involved. I've heard two different sides of that. But for that deal to work, as you said, 
his salary had to be a certain number. It wasn't as high as what right. Atlanta was going to pay him. Milwaukee was like, it has to be this. I don't know what it, it started at 14 or 13, whatever it started at. But Atlanta really wanted to sign him. And Atlanta's like, hey, man, we'll, we'll go to 18. So his agents were like, well, fuck that. We're not going to take 14 so he could be like the fourth dude in Milwaukee. We're, we went to 18. We, this, and that was it. That's how it died. But I really do think Milwaukee thought they had him. And if they had him, especially Dante goes down, um, they still have Connaughton. They still have Forbes. They have some PJ Tucker chicanery they can do. I guess they could play um, Jeff Teague if they really wanted to. I, I never thought Dante was that good. It's just another body and it's six foul stuff like that. But Bogdanovich is a whole other animal. And if they had him, I would think, I honestly would think this is a layup for them um, to at least to at least go toe-to-toe and beat Brooklyn. I think they would beat Brooklyn with Brogdanovich. I still think they're going to beat Brooklyn, but I don't feel as confident because that this series might just come down to that guy in the corner who's like Forbes with three minutes left. And it's like, fuck, that guy's got to make a shot. We have these big threes going against each other. It's like, or it's like Brooke Lopez, you know, it's going to come down to some weird guy in that team. And that's when we'll think about Bogdanovich. Yeah, look, Tucker... His analytics, like, you're not going to like him. Um, when he wanted out of Houston, you know, he handled it differently. He was he was quiet about it, but people knew he wanted out, which made sense. He had, and again, this is depending on what you, he had the single, like, worst plus minus of, like, 450 NBA players. Yeah. And yet, when you bring him in, you know, okay, we know there are certain times if we want to go small, we can trust him to be out there. And, and, you know, maybe he gets cooked in some of these switches, but... I think there's an effort, there's a pridefulness with him. We're like, hey, I'll take a PJ Tucker in my rotation. You never know because Milwaukee's probably going to try to figure out like what they want to do with the Brook Lopez lineup versus going five out and having Giannis initiated. The funny thing about Giannis, I mean, he still shot 20 times a game. He shot 6% from three against my, he shot 6% and he kept taking them. What's that? One, in, one for 15, two for 30. Um, Six percent is really bad. It's not good, Bill. One thing I like about Tucker is I do feel like he'll fuck with Durant. They've known each other forever. I think he will. Um, I think he'll go with those guys. And and honestly, it seems like the books out with Durant. I don't know if you've noticed this. You watch a lot of basketball. You're home some nights watching hoops. You. The Durant online Durant has now morphed into on-court Durant where people chirp at him the same way they would chirp at him on their replies because they think they can get to him. And his his head's on a swivel. Like, he's yelling at people courtside. He was next to the Celtics bench like three or four different times today, like talking with those guys. Three different Celtics made a run of him in this game. I I feel like the word is out. Like, just start shit with Durant because he, he'll he's got rabbit ears, basically. And it's like he is online. And I feel like that's, don't aggregate this. This is just what I'm seeing watching television. I do feel like teams feel like they can annoy him. I noticed it too. But what I saw was was a positive for Durant. Like when Grant Williams is talking shit to you and you're Kevin Durant, like how far is that conversation going to go? You're just going to hit a three in his face. Right. Like Durant's looking at him going, cool, man. You know, you're Grant Williams. Like what, what are you going to do? You know, like, I didn't walk by Berman at ESPN being like, eh, you know, highlights are a little shaky week 12, buddy. You know? But, the thing like, is, you know? but he is the only great player that 
just randos seem to go at. Like that, like Grant Williams isn't talking shit to LeBron. No, but you know what? Like, this is always one of those things that that I think is funny because we we've both, you know, seen it. And I don't want to turn this into a huge segment, part of what we're doing, but like whatever I think the tier above me is, I'd be like, why do you respond to any of this stuff? I don't really respond to much of it because it is a colossal waste of time. Like if yep. you try to imagine the person that's arguing with you about something, I'd be like, whatever, I'm not going to do this. Maybe like once every few months, I'll say something, but then I'll think like somebody above me, like, why would you do it? You know? And then when you realize like the most, like the highest level of politicians in this country can't handle being criticized, <laughs> that it's just for some people, their exercise of getting through it is responding to all of it. So the idea that it, once you're at this level of success, that it's just, you don't have it. Like all of us are different. And for yeah. Durant, like he's just, he'll always be this way. But I saw a guy that people were chirping with where he wasn't affected by it at all today. Like I thought he was kind of looking around being like, how dare you even challenge me as he hits another jumper in everybody's face. Well, if I'm Milwaukee, I'm, I'm definitely doing the PJ Tucker. Um, Giannis doesn't talk really any shit. I, he's like the most benevolent superstar we've had in a while. Well, what about he, Middleton or Drew? All three of them, really? Yeah. Pretty quiet. They're, they're all kind of, I mean, Brooke will crush a guy and apologize. So it'll nice be kind of, yeah, it'll be kind of weird how that, how that plays out. It's probably why a guy like PJ Tucker, but like, we need somebody in here that's got a little more attitude. But if gun to your head right now, Brooklyn versus Milwaukee, who are you taking? I think all my Brooklyn content sucks. So <laughs> I, I just don't, you know, I picked Philly. Because there's some things I really liked about Philly. It has nothing to do with this Wizards series. I'm not like watching this series going, man, I love my Philly pick. They're handling the Wizards. Um, I don't know, the, the Nets are horrifying, man. They're horrifying. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you're picking Milwaukee for the same reason why I picked Philadelphia, I imagine, right? I really think Milwaukee's good. I do, too. I, I, still feel I, like I can't wait. I think there were some moments in this Boston series. Boston's completely undermanned. And I was texting about this before game four, where I was like, I'm going to be really interested to see how Brooklyn responds tonight because they just haven't had enough reps together with adversity. Now it looked great tonight, but they're playing a team that was trotting out below average NBA players for half of their roster, right? They, the only way the Celtics were winning tonight is if Fournier had like 35 or Marcus Smart was like 11, <laughs> 11 for 13 from three. Like there had to be some variable that was basically in Pritchard Scored 28, a career high. Like, there had to be some variable for them to match points. Then I think the Nets would have scored 160 today. Yeah, maybe they Seriously. would have. Maybe they would have. But um, I still want to see them with real adversity because it is weird. It goes against everything that I like about basketball and think works in basketball when it's just like your turn, your turn, my turn. And that's just your offense. I've never seen it work for four rounds before. No, but the Joe Harris part of it is incredible. Like to think that if you try to help, like the only time I thought there was some kind of adjustments, like if Harden's in there, and this would be something for Milwaukee, if they run the Harden minutes at the start of the second quarter and you're not throwing a hard double when Harden's out there without Durant and Kyrie, I think that's a mistake. I think those are the minutes where you kind of look at them in the Houston minutes against the Lakers last year where Westbrook was kind of shot physically. And then you go, all right, let's just sell out against him off this high screen stuff. You know, and then they kind of stopped screening and Houston was trying to do a couple different things. But that would be something I would look for from Milwaukee that when it's the hardened solo mission, you might just want to sell out to try to screw him up. And then you never know. It still might not work, but it's it's worth trying because I think teams 
are really hesitant to do that. And, and as I mentioned, I think with you last week, like we saw the lesson in trying to double people how bad it can go, whether it was Doncic, um, you know, the Knicks didn't really want to try to do it that much with Trey and then Trey, they did it to him a couple times today and then Trey burned him again. But with Harden in that situation, I, I'd like to at least see somebody try it. I would, uh, I would let Kyrie get what he wants and try to take out the other two guys. Just like if Kyrie's taking 30 shots tonight, that's probably actually good because Kyrie, everyone's staying around watching him. Harden can get everybody else involved and KD is amazing. And I don't even know what you do with him. And I think KD is in the running. If you were saying who's the best player in the world right now, it's hard for me to think it's, he, he has to be in the first couple names mentioned and he might be number one. Yeah, I mean, the only reason we have him because it's been such an inconsistent season of him playing, but when he's played, he's even beyond what he normally it's fucking does. fucking awesome. So, I mean, he could be a stretch five. Right. He could be... His defense looks like it's picked up, too. His defense is great. You know, and even though the Tatum got him a couple of times, like, the fact that Durant is his size and he's staying in front of Tatum, who's throwing everything at him, you know, it's just one of those battles of two really talented guys. So I don't, I don't feel like Tatum, you know, walks away going like, oh, I got you. Yeah, you got him a couple times. But, I mean, Durant's I trying Tatum, to hold up on top of everything else. The baskets were so difficult that Tatum was scoring. It wasn't like he was... No. I, that was what was scary about the Nets today. They had 141 points. I loved, like, basically every shot they took. It felt like they could have had 170 if they had if they had gotten some, some threes and some layups to go in. Everything they took was a good shot. I was impressed. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break, and we got to talk Sixers whiz quickly, but then Knicks Hawks, because that's been... Uh, a really, really meaty one. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way. You rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King. $2.99 each. Price and participation vary. U.S. only. Okay, quickly. Sixers whiz. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give each of us 30 seconds. Here's my 30-second Sixers whiz take because the series is terrible. Westbrook's <laughs> last four playoffs, he's 22-9-8, 39.6 field goal percentage, 30.8 three-point field goal percentage, uh, six and 16 win loss record. His last 30 playoff games is seven for 23. That's all I got. The only negative I have in the woods, they're totally outmatched here. I don't know that you're learning a lot about this. Um, and honestly, congrats to the wizards for even getting to here based on where it was. What I don't love is 
hey, we get it, Westbrook and Beal. You guys are out, man. The rest of your teammates aren't that good. Those two guys love eye-rolling and letting everybody know the rest of the team sucks. And I think mm. it's really lame as teammates to do that to a bunch of guys. And the rest of the guys are so unproven that they're never going to say anything. And I think they all kind of get along in a way. But it's just, I know you're frustrated out there, but Beal and Westbrook make the same mistakes that they go nuclear when their teammates make the same defensive rotation mistakes. On the other side of it, the Embiid step through facing up Gafford, the free throw line in game three. I can't believe a human being like Embiid can move that way. I know this is not breaking news with him. Um, and Simmons is just so big against the guards that it doesn't really matter. He's, by the way, he's missed all of his free throws. Simmons is 0 for 9 on free throw attempts. We're not going to learn anything from this other than there are, there are some really cool things with Philadelphia's offense where, you know, they decided to double Embiid at one point, then they kicked it to Curry, then they tried to play him straight up and they just swung the ball around. George Hill's in the other corner. So you're seeing Doc kind of experiment with the defense versus spacing closing lineups, which I think are going to be probably games where we're going to see different different groups of guys. I really think we could see different groups of guys from the Sixers out there as Doc kind of figures out exactly the best closing group for each game. Well, if they play the Hawks in this natural lead-in to Knicks Hawks, this was the per- – by the way, kudos to Trey Young. He's been awesome. And this is the Trey Young I think you and I both wanted to see. But it was also, this is the perfect matchup for him, this team. We get to the next round with the Sixers, assuming the Hawks make it, they're going to have Embiid as a rim protector. I assume they would throw Simmons and Tybal at him. Um, just like basically those two guys on Trey the whole time. And they're going to try to cut the head off of the Hawks by just taking out Trey. It's the opposite of how the Knicks have done it. And I have a lot of Knicks fans in my life. All of them think Tibbs has done an incredible job this year. He's coached a really strange series. Like to me, I'm going into this Hawks series from the Knicks. Like forget about how bad Randall's been for a second. I have to take out Trey Young or at least make him work on defense. Like just, I, I can't let him do nothing on defense. And then on offense, I can't let him do whatever he wants. Those two things together. I'm losing the series. And I think it's really strange that A, whoever Trey's guarding, I'm just, let's go to that guy. Let's put more guards on the floor so he's got to guard somebody. Him just hanging out on, you know, standing next to Reggie Bullock, that's great for the Hawks. And then on the other end, they just don't have the rim protection to stop him. I just think it's going to be night and day for him going against Philly. Philly has the perfect guys to guard him. They're taller, they're bigger, they're great defenders plus rim protection, it's it's going to be completely different than what he has now. I can't believe they are so helpful to Trey Young's defensive problems. Like they run, it's like they don't have they any don't e- pass. I don't, I don't get it. Like you can sit there and say, well, Reggie Bullock can't. Well, you can't try to get him in a switch. You can't at least try something because guess what? Nothing else is working. I mean, Randall's been a mess. He was better in game four. R.J. Barrett's been a mess. He was better in game four. Uh, Derek Rose, and I think all of us love that Derek Rose has this part of his career because it looked like we may never even see this again, but he doesn't really get a lot of guys involved. And I wouldn't call Rose like an all-time creator either as far as getting other people going. Um, it's it's on him, and that part of the offense has been terrific. But, you know, it's like, okay, well, you being in quickly to defend. Quickly can't hit a shot to save his life. And I don't know that anybody really screamed shooter when quickly was out there. They tried right. Neil Aquina for a couple possessions. That's not going to happen. Um, they They have a really... It's an awful setup for the Knicks. So that part, I, I don't get. Like, I, I know, because I mentioned it, and Hollinger said something about my tweet where he was like, hey, and then there were a few people jumping in on it. But, I mean, for the most part, they don't 
never mind trying to attack him. They run everything away from him. So he doesn't even yeah. have to like make any decisions. He's just with Bullock off the ball almost 90% of the possessions. I don't understand that, but it would help if your best two players actually played better. On the defensive side, I don't think there's this is where I like I think the first thing's approachable. Defending Trey in this series just isn't. It just isn't. It's not it's, happening. It's, you could see it in the first too, game. He's too smart against the double, too. And he and he burned him on a couple of them here. Granted, if you want to try it, mix it up, trying to make him feel uncomfortable, that's fine. But when they play him straight up, you know, they got him a couple times with a hard double in the game they lost when DeAndre Hunter missed a couple threes. You know, he had two back-to-back wide open threes. He hits that. This thing might be a sweep. But you're right. Like, that's the part of Philly where it's like they can throw some huge, some real size at Trey. But Trey is so damn good at still getting space. And then the floaters. Like, if you can do this jaw you know, really tray floater thing. It's, it's a whole nother level of your offense. On against Philly, I would assume like if Tybal's out there, they can just hide him on Tybal because he's not an offensive player by any means. I don't know if you could hide him on Simmons because I think Simmons would then, I think they would then post him up and that might actually get Simmons going. So then you, you like, you can't put him on Seth Curry because they'll actually run action for Seth Curry. And I Seth think he's going to have a lot of problems that, that series. And then you could also attack him with Seth Curry, who's kind of a sneaky, good offensive player. If he's got a shitty defender on him, you know, it's just all stuff. The Knicks could have done. If I were the Knicks, I would not have started Derrick Rose. I actually thought that was a big mistake. And it's the kind of thing you do when you're desperate for game two, because you're going to lose the game if you don't win the half. But, um, I think one of the best things about the Knicks this year was this bench would come in and it would kind of, it would almost be like a different team, you know? And it was, they would be one team, then the bench would come in and they would get momentum and all this stuff. I would have started quickly. Um, and I, I just, I would, they're not winning this series unless quickly gave them something. So to kind of yank them around, I don't think was the move. I would have started him. I would try to get him minutes. Cause I actually do think he can guard Trey. I don't think he's going to shut him down, but he'll at least stay in front of him. Um, and he's their only chance at all the guards they have. The other one, obviously, is Frankie Nicotine, who is unplayable. I, I, really, what this is is it's it's figuring out what we saw this regular season. Now, I don't. There's a few storylines I was texting you earlier. For whatever reason, you're never allowed to mention that when Nate McMillan took over, that Bogdanovich came back at the exact same time. So and the they Hawks ti- clear- and they timed right. it. If right. you're going to be, you know, they, they clearly wanted Pierce out to not even give him a chance with Bogdanovich coming back because they wanted to fire him before he could come back. And there was that piece in The Athletic that felt like it was written by Trey Young where they just trashed him. And look, I'm not saying anything against reporters, a bunch of reporters that I read all the time, but it was very clear, like, all right, we don't like Lloyd Pierce. We're, you know, get him out of here. So that's already a problem. But they made sure once Bogdanovich was coming back that there was going to be a new coach. So there couldn't be any, like, false hope here. Um, I looked at some of the Trey stuff because I was like, you know what I love about this now is that he trusts guys. I don't think Trey trusted his teammates when he first got started. And I would say that creeped into last year a little bit too, but I started doing some of the, like the usage rates and where he's been. Cause we're talking about somebody in the league who, who dribbles it as much as anybody has the ball in his hands. The most is like a top seven guy in touches um, dribbles per possession, number two overall in the NBA. And so I went through like some of the usage stuff in the regular season this year to the playoffs, wondering if it dipped, it's actually gone up. So that's, I, I know I didn't shoot it great in game four, but it's not like he's completely adjusted his approach. He's just, He's been just brute. I mean, I mean, I mean in a positive way, but there's just nothing the Knicks seem to be able to do with the guy. And I think to finish the thought here is I don't know that this is a huge surprise. This Knicks story is awesome, Bill. 
the effort, Tibbs, Randall's resurgence, you know, Barrett taken to another level. But when I would watch him the regular season, I'd be like, what are they doing? What's so good? And they just busted their ass with a team that's not even close to as talented as Atlanta's. And I think that you, when you're really predictable, a lot of like Randall ISOs far away and you want to load up on his drive side. I think it's easier to kind of slow these guys down, and that's exactly what we've seen through four games. So I'm not I'm not surprised by any of this, even though I know Randall killed them in the regular season. But Atlanta was missing some players in those games as well. I'm such a coward. I thought the Hawks were going to kill them, and then just backed off. And because because it seemed like Randall really owned them. But you're right. If you look closer at the three games when he destroyed them, it wasn't the same Hawks team that is now. The thing that would concern me, because I know there are Nick fans out there like, we're going to win game five. Crowd's going to win that for us. We're going to go down in game six. Randall's going to show up and then we'll have game seven in MSG. It's like, all right, um, he, here, here's the problem. Like, if the Hawks didn't fall asleep for like 10 minutes in game two, this series would already be over. The Hawks have dominated and they don't have any answer for Trey. I, so, I would ask anyone this, and I, I already know what your answer is going to be. We've seen plenty of weird stuff happen. I mean, rarely have we had a team up 3-1 where we're sitting there talking about the team that's down going, I love all these. Does anyone think the Knicks are better than Atlanta? Who's answering that question? The Hawks are definitely way more talented. But listen, Game 7 is in New York. I can't count it out. I wouldn't bet my life that the Hawks are winning the series, but I would would certainly um, feel very, very strongly that this is probably over. And look, I don't think we we sold the Trey Young thing hard enough. And I think it's... Interesting to compare this to Ja because we were talking about Ja, who I think is really talented, who had what 47 in game two against Utah and has been incredibly explosive. But I think we both see it the same way with him. He still doesn't totally have that savvy with how to control pace yet. He doesn't totally get it. He hasn't had enough reps for how to have a feel for like, oh, this is when I should take over. This is, I got to get this guy involved. Um, there, I, I have a chance to put them away. I'm going to do this. I'm going to slow things up. I'm going to speed it up. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not there yet. He's going to be there. I'm a full believer. He's, he's probably a year away. I think what's struck me with Trey, the last two months of Trey versus what we saw the rest of his career, there has been an evolution and a maturation. You can see it. He, he's, he's evolved with how he controls the game, he doesn't do dumb shit anymore. Like he'll still take a 30 footer once a half, but well, he took his, a few of them today, but uh, yeah, but all his decisions make sense though. Right. When you're watching, you're like, Oh, this is, this is why we were complaining because we knew he had this in him and now he seems to get it. You remember that Harden Capella stuff they used to do? You're just like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like if I jab Steph Harden defensively and even try to retreat to contest Capella, it's probably not going to work. Like Harden reads it, but Trey's smaller and he reads it perfectly. And I just like that Atlanta has a bunch of different options. I'm not going to pick them against Philadelphia if they make it um, against them. But I I see somebody that trusts people a little bit more. And that was always my biggest issue with Trey is I just didn't feel like he, you know, he would, he'd be like, I'd rather me take an awful shot and never pass it to anybody else. I mean, I know what the assist numbers and all that stuff, but the McDonavich, it completely changes who they are because I think it's another guy that can not only catch and shoot, but can handle a little bit. And it's, I mean, it completely changes. Like think how different, well, I don't know, maybe, the, maybe Brooklyn still comes out and none of this really matters with the Bogdanovich storyline, which we already covered. But um, even Gallinari, who at times, Bill, I'll be like, does he ever move? 
Like he always looks like as he's moving, it's like, okay, this is right. And this is where he blew out his ACL. <laughs> like every time he starts getting going, yeah. like it doesn't look that smooth to me anymore or anything like that. But then he hits a bunch of shots today too. And it's size. They get Hunter back. Um, so Hunter's the X factor for them because there's yeah. been flashes, but I think yeah. you and I both feel like potentially he's the second best guy in that team. If he can keep making baby steps as we get going through the playoffs, I just like their team. I like watching them. They can all shoot. Um, you like the villain th part of this too, huh? I do. I do. I, li I like that Trey kind of owns it. Like he's got a little sass to do him. Do you like Trey Young now? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually really do enjoy I've really enjoyed watching him the last couple of months. This isn't just the playoffs. Like I, he's starting to remind me of Nash. I think there's some Nash 2.0 stuff going on. I don't think he's as great of a passer as Nash was, but the stuff he's doing, it's just, he is so easily getting where he wants to go on the court. It's been really cool to watch. Trey has the shot selection. We wish Nash had. Yeah. Yeah, he's like Nash with like a chip implanted in his head to be slightly more selfish. What do you do if you're the Knicks? Let's 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 say they lose game five and you have this Randall situation where you could just you just say, Cool, we're running it back for you for twenty point seven five next year. No extension. Let's let's play it by ear. Let's see how you do. Or you get roped into you're paying him thirty five million a year. You just watched him get solved really easily by Atlanta where they were just like, oh, you like to do all this stuff? We're going to take all of it away. And all of the shots you take are off balance. They seem they seem bad. It's not just that he hasn't shot the ball well. He, he even the shots he's taking, he's not a, not in balance. He's, there's a hand in his face. I'd be really concerned to pay him 140 for four years, is my point. I know that's an overreaction. I'm just saying, like, as the Celtics are proving with Kemba Walker, like if you if you miss on one of these contracts, it's a catastrophe. Unless that surprising player who I don't know who it is demands to be traded there, you probably resign Randall. You probably don't love the number, but at least you have the asset because you have all this cap space and there's a lot of cap space out there. So you're going to be paying more than whatever your projections are for these players. But what's the and number? Tell me the number. Is it? 120 for four years. I gotta know. I don't know off the top of my head what he's eligible for off of this one because his his thing is his thing is different because he's been on on multiple teams here. But couldn't they decline the decline the 20.75 and then just give him a new contract basically because they're way under the cap. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather him? What is it? Stay. He's 20.75 next year. I have him as partially guaranteed. He's not. Yeah, he's. They can pay him off for a couple million. Right. Or they uh, can sign him up for the I would love I would love him back at one year for that number. But that's probably not what he's gonna want. So um It's so weird. I voted for him, I think fifth for MVP. <laughs> and he's been horrible. I yeah, mean, but he was that's like historically horrible in the first don't couple let games. four games. You know what though? I, here's the deal. Like, is he perfect? No. Um, is he exposed a little bit? Sure. But think about where you were at as a Knicks fan. Think of where you were as, as an organization six, seven months ago. You are actually but the, respectable now. But this is the now. whole point. This is the Knicks issue for 50 years is overpaying these alleged superstar forwards that well, he's they not can't a ever win playoffs with. We know well, that. He had a great season. He's not a superstar. Okay, fine. You don't want him back. Where, who are you? Becomes how, Spencer Haywood, Bob McAdoo, and okay, George but how McGinnis, are you, and everybody else. How are you getting to 90% of the floor? Like, how are you getting to the salary cap floor number that you have to get to if you let him go? Like, 
you're probably if, just going to sign him just to go like, hey, maybe we can trade him if we, you know, have a three-year deal. I would have to keep it between 27 and 30. If you if I'm going in the 30s, I'm just not doing it. I'm not I'm not paying him 35 million a year when it's not like the Hawks are the 89 Pistons. They've completely shut him down. That's a huge concern. It really is. I would be really nervous about it. Right. But he is better than having nothing unless you know what those options are that maybe none of us know what they are right now. Um the next guy that's mad and wants to be traded there or something like that. But the fact that they're even a respectable franchise for the first time in what, 20 years. But here's the thing. You can have him next year at 20.75 billion. You just have to say, we're running this back. Let's see. Let's see how it looks. We'll get you some help. We have this really cool salary cap opportunity because your salary is low and we'll take care of you in a year. Hmm. I don't know if his agents will go for that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't go for that. Take care of me in a year. What about Rose? Rose turns 33 next season. He made like seven and a half. And I, to me, he's perfect as your 25 minutes a game off the bench guy. If he's starting to think, hey, I should get 40 for two or whatever, then that comes no, I'd be like, too. Yeah, no, I would, I would say find out what the offers are. Come back to us. Topping? Yeah, are, you, are you feeling a little topping momentum? Because I'm None. feeling it a little bit. None at all? No. Did you forget Kevin Knox was on the team? I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's a tough one. The the Knox Nitlinka back to back is is uh it's rough. Not great. Um too much Spike Lee or not enough Spike Lee for you for the crowd shots? You know what? It felt good. It just it was a return to normalcy. I'm I'm not gonna I I could tell you too much Snoop Dogg right now. I got it. I got it. Too much. There's been like three or four commercials we've seen way too many times. If you're like us and you're watching every game. Yeah, like, it's not Snoop Dogg's fault. It's not his fault. I'm just yeah. saying like I'm seeing him because this goes back to like last year's playoffs. We're like, oh, we're running this back. All right. What's the what's the one where it's like a fast food and the guy's like, oh, tasty. It's like Carl's Jr. One of those. Yeah. They're showing a so. cheeseburger and the guy's yeah. like kind of doing sex talk with the burger. I don't know what's going on with that one. Then there's the one that where they took madness's our house and they like sped it up and made it super weird. It was like our house in the middle. It's like yeah. the Dennis Haysburg one. They had to have that one. That, I got one, I got one for you. Again. Apple yeah. that usually crushes it. Would you say branding wise, Apple does as well as anybody, you know, over yeah. the last few years. Yes. Um, by the way, when I said the Knicks first time respectable in 20 years, that's that's excessive. I'd say that yeah, Mello not kind of 2013. Yeah. Right, right. When Mello and the the Pacers series, that was a respectable yep. crew there. So I just wanted to clean that up. Um, would the Willy Wonka theme song make you buy a phone? No, I felt like that was a miss with Apple. I go, are people going, hey, Wonka, purple phone in? Let's get in line. Let's camp out for this. But I'm probably not the demo. I'm probably not the target on that one. Would a heavy breather make you want to buy a fast food? Oh, bacon cheeseburger. It's like it's like they had hired Joe House to just it's like what it's like to be in the car with House when he has eaten at seven hours. Like, oh, Arby's. Like it's just it's so weird. I don't understand. How are we not better at making commercials? Well, how hard I don't know. is it? I, I see the thing is, is I think they're like, you know how radio stuff, you would go, why is it this, like in the script? And then you'd realize that part of the radio stuff is to be annoying, to have some saying or some right, thing Right, because you're trying head. to get somebody's right. attention. Right. Like, 
I'll never forget. Like these, these, these timeshare ones, apparently having a timeshare is a death sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard this guy? Like the guy's voice. Every time I hear it on any broadcast, I'll be like, I'll double check my pockets. Like, do I have a timeshare? Oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't have one. I, they start throwing these timeshare stats at you, and I get scared to death. I don't even have one. But it's it just the ad works. It's in my head. Who did your notes? I just saw that page come up. Do you have an artist's? What it's is how that? I do my palette? notes? Wow. I, I write. I buy these. I buy these uh, artist sketchbooks because I like writing them. Because because I can. Uh, oh yeah, I could fit a lot on a page, and then I can like really. Think it out. I've been writing out all my notes. It really helps versus using the iPad. Get you off the iPad. Um, so the the Clips are beating the Mavs. Uh, it's not a blowout, but it looks like they're in hand. We're gonna uh, we're gonna leave part one here. We're gonna wrap it up. We're gonna come on uh, after. We're gonna tape right after Clips Mavs and do the West, which became very intriguing with the uh, Anthony Davis thing. So we'll save that for part two. This was the end of part one. Rosillo, I'll see you in a couple of hours. Sounds good. All right, that's it for part one of the special two-parter with me and Marcelo. Wait for after Mavs clips about, I would say, an hour and a half or so after that game. We'll be putting up part two, and we'll be breaking down that game as well as the West. Stay tuned for that. See you then. I